My guest today is Kevin Brown, author, speaker, and business exec. As you'll hear in this conversation, Kevin's unconventional path to success taught him that winning in business and life requires anything but conventional thinking. He grew up in Michigan, where his blue-collar roots taught him the value of hard work and determination. He spent the last 20 years of his corporate career as part of a leadership team that built a little-known family business into the number one franchise in their industry, with annual revenues exceeding $2 billion. What really stood out to me in our conversation was Kevin's willingness to let go of an accomplished dream and put himself out there into the unknown and take on something new. Since 2016, Kevin Brown has traveled the world pursuing a mission to share the hero effect message with as many people and organizations as possible. We all have something to contribute and we should all contribute. I was intrigued by how he emphasized that speaking isn't his passion, but his gift. People say to me all the time that, you know, Kevin, you're really blessed. You're really lucky to be able to pursue your passion for speaking as a career. And they are amazed when I tell them that speaking is not my passion. In his newly published book, Unleashing Your Hero, Kevin shares how the heroes who transformed his life are people just like you. We talk about the inspiration behind writing the book and some of the key concepts he writes about. And I was blown away by his definition of heroes. And I think you might be too. Let's jump in. So Kevin Brown, welcome to the Bet on Yourself podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here today. I am excited. I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm so honored to be with you today. That's really kind. This is going to be super fun. I have a million things I want to ask you about, but I'm going to start with my traditional first question, which is give me a little glimpse into a young Kevin. What did you as a young boy dream of being? What did you think you were going to do with your life early on? Well, you know what? Early on, probably not unlike a lot of people, you know, we want to be famous. We want to be baseball stars and singers and actors and a cowboy, maybe. Um, you know, I had, all, I had all of those dreams when I was a kid and I never, ever saw my life unfolding the way that it has. But probably of all the things I wanted to be, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And uh, that's, that. what I grew, that's what I grew up believing. That's not how it all played out, but I still love baseball. Well, goodness knows my life was very unexpected as well. So I think we can bond over several of those stories. Um, but I hear a common theme of enjoying kind of the spotlight, being on a stage. Um, and obviously that's come around, although in a way that maybe you didn't expect uh, in plan A. Yeah. And I'm an introvert by nature. So I never in a million years thought I would stand on a stage in front of, you know, 5,000, 10,000 people and tell our story. Uh, you know, sometimes we don't think our story is worth telling. But the truth is, our story can be some, become somebody else's survival guide. We yeah. never know what it is about our story that may resonate with someone else and give them just a little piece of something that they need that pushes them forward and keeps them moving. I love that. It, it That definitely resonates with me. I too am an introvert and people are always surprised to hear that because I think if you have a, a presence and an ease on stage, people think that you're an extrovert. Definitely not. I need some quiet time alone in a room with a book after I do the speaking <laughs> gigs. I'm definitely an introvert. Um, so it's fascinating. You are as well. It um, is. And, I, and I, I would like to say something about that because I think a lot of people miss this and I missed this for a long, long time. People say to me all the time that, you know, Kevin, you're really blessed. You're really lucky to be able to pursue your passion for speaking as a career. And they are amazed when I tell them that speaking is not my passion speaking is my gift. And I think sometimes we get confused because we, we live in a world today where people are always giving advice. And it's usually people who aren't qualified to give advice, but we get advice from people. My dad always used to say, only take advice from people qualified to give it. In other words, people who've been where you want to go are the people we should be listening to. And I tell people all the time, we, we, we say things like, you know, pursue your passion and you'll never work a day in your life. And I completely disagree with that. Yeah. Work is work. The grind is the grind. The hustle is the hustle. And there's gold in the grind. There's gold when we go to work and we stretch ourselves. And we, for you and I as introverts, to stand on stage, sweat pouring down underneath the jacket, you know, <laughs> yeah. living, living in that moment. But that's where we grow and that's where we stretch and we're going to fall down and we're going to fail. But passion and gifting are two very, very different things. Uh, I have a passion for golf, but nobody on the planet will pay me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a gift for speaking. I have a gift for storytelling. And sometimes when we pursue our gifts, we discover brand new passions along the way. 
I am so glad that you circled back to that. I couldn't agree more. And I actually haven't heard it articulated in quite that way before. Everyone now in the post-pandemic, you know, we've got this great resignation that's happening and everyone's recentering themselves on, on their individual mission and values, which I think is so important and amazing. But there is confusion if you if you can't differentiate between your, your passions and your gifts. So I think that was gold. That was, we could finish the podcast right now. That's what we need to share. <laughs> I, I really think that could be that North Star for somebody right now, figuring out what their new normal should be and how they do want to be more purposeful and, and align themselves on sharing their gifts with the world. But also knowing that when you're doing that, it does feel like a grind. That's a sign you're doing it right instead of that you're doing it wrong. At least for me, that's been my journey. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think we have an obligation. I think when we when we discover that gifting and the, the sad truth is a lot of people run through life not believing that they have any gifts at all. Yeah. And if people would just analyze what, what do you do that comes naturally? What do you do that seems easy when other people watch you do it? Because yeah. we miss those things because they do come easy. Mm-hmm. But just because they come easy and just because it's a uh, perhaps a hidden talent or a gift that does not that does not mean we don't have to develop it right gifts are gifts are like muscles if we don't use them they atrophy and they they become weak and so for me it was somebody else who saw the gift of speaking it wasn't me i I was perfectly content i could put together an entire conference behind the scenes i could do the run of show i could write speeches for other people i could write comedy for other people and it was a a boss a mentor a friend of mine who pushed me on stage way back in 2002 and I, I just didn't know it was in me and something clicked, something happened. And that became a gigantic part of my life. I retired from my real job at the end of 2016. And, and I started, started this incredible journey. And over the last five years, we've been in front of over 600 groups, literally around the world. And um, it's quite an extraordinary gift in and of itself to be, be given that. I'm so glad you shared that because I am a big fan of your speeches. You do make it look so easy and natural when you're on stage. You're very funny. You're engaging. People really relate. I think that's another really important part of what you do is it feels authentic. It doesn't feel like you're being preached at. People feel included in the story. They can relate. You give such beautiful stories and illustrations that make people kind of nod their head being like, oh, I know what that feels like, or I've been there, or, you know, I can imagine that situation, which makes it very relatable. You also just made my interviewing job very hard because I have like 10 follow-up questions I want to ask to what you just shared. (laughs) Um, But I think probably a great natural flow to this is I have a feeling that a lot of what you just shared are core concepts in your book that just came out just literally, I think six days after my book just came out. Um, And so I think this might be a natural segue for you to introduce to us some of the core concepts. Your book is Unleashing Your Hero, and I cannot wait to get into that in depth. But I think the principles you just shared a little bit about gifts and grind and and believing in your individual story and its uniqueness, having value and potential being an inspiration to someone else. That's a feeling are a lot of the core concepts you're sharing. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. And they should get both of our books, by the way, since they're coming out so close together, they should just go ahead and bundle it up and get both. I agree. Amazon, take note. It's a bundle now. (laughs) So it's an amazing thing. And I never thought I'd write a book. I never thought I would be on stage. I I don't consider myself a writer. I'm a speaker who writes, uh, which is different than a writer who speaks. And I, I wrote it really because my, my audience members, my followers started asking for it. And we wrote it. And I've been talking about heroes since somewhere around 2007, 2008. And I was asked to give a speech way back in 2007. I actually delivered the speech in 2008. 2,000 people sat in a ballroom and they wanted me to talk about heroes. <laughs> I didn't have a hero speech, never uh-huh. considered talking about heroes. And I'll never forget this moment in my life because I went to my wife, Lisa. I've been married to a real life Wonder Woman for 25 years. She's an amazing partner. She's an amazing mother. And I went to her and I said, look, I've got three months to get ready for 2000 people. and They want me to talk about heroes. I don't have a hero speech. Back then I talked about leadership, vision, communication, customer service, kind of stuff we've all heard about. And she said to me something that was really, really profound. She said, Kevin, when you're, when you're blessed to be on that stage, just tell them your story. Mm. Tell them about your life. She said, when you look in the mirror, do you see yourself or do you see all of the people who helped you become you? Do you see the people who helped you when you couldn't help yourself? How about the ones who picked you up when life knocked you down? 
how about the ones who loved you when you were unlovable? And believe me, there've been lots of times. <laughs> and she said, if you don't see those faces in the mirror, you're missing the picture completely. She said, nobody on this planet is self-made. We all had help getting there. Mm. And I told you she's a smart woman. Yeah. And in that moment, I got up and I went to the mirror and I stared at myself for an uncomfortable amount of time. And after a while, my image began to fade and I started to see all of the faces of the influencers in my life, the, the teachers, the mentors, the coaches, the guides, people who had literally poured into my life and moved me from where I was to someplace new and took me places I could have never gotten to on my own. And I went back to my yellow pad and I wrote down one question. One question has dominated my life from that day to this. And that is, what does a hero look like? And I've had the great blessing of going around the world asking that question. And I've heard every answer that you can imagine. I've heard about the world changers, Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, first responders, police, fire, EMTs, doctors and nurses, the healers who put us back together when we're broken, moms and dads, teachers and coaches, our military men and women around the world who protect us and keep us safe. And I think about all these categories of heroes and every single person I've ever asked the question, what does a hero look like? They've said heroes are ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And first time I heard it, I wrote it down. It seemed reasonable to me. But Anne, I have to tell you, the more I heard it, the more unsettled I became, the more it didn't seem to fit. And what I realized is as we go through life, sometimes we say things that don't make sense. We say things because we've heard them, because we've been conditioned to believe them. And if you believe this idea about heroes being ordinary people doing extraordinary things, then you have to first convince yourself that you're ordinary in the first place. And I don't think that's how it was drawn up. And what we discovered on this, on this journey is that it's exactly the opposite. We think heroes are extraordinary people who choose not to be ordinary. And when we got that, everything changed. Okay, you just blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> That's I'm I, I'm processing. If, if listeners can't see the look on my face, but it was like my there's smoke coming out of my ears because it sounds so obvious when you say it. But um, but I was nodding along when you gave the first definition. I was like, yeah, that sounds right. That's a hero. Right. Um, but then when you just flipped it for me, actually, you're right. That is this disconnect that so many of us have. And I'm so glad you shared your story of becoming this. Because when you're on the stage, I think people assume you've got this expertise, you're fancy, you've got something that I don't have as an audience member. And I love that your journey, actually, it's so validating for me to hear because it's so similar to mine. I had this um, unexpected uh, career in tech. I didn't study tech anything. I was often the only person in the room without a PhD in computer science. Um, but I yeah, got invited by someone on LinkedIn who had never met me in person to come and speak at a conference. And I just kind of said yes, which is a whole other story. And then someone in the audience, now my best friend, Vicki, saw me speak. I didn't have a slide deck. I was the only person on the docket without a, um, you know, I wasn't a professional speaker. I just had these little notes of stories that I thought might be illustrations of something that might inspire someone. That was it. And she came up to me afterwards and was like, don't change a thing, but here's a couple of ways I might structure it to make it even more memorable. And that's it. And then like yeah. thousands of speeches later, here I am, not because I am exceptional or more qualified than when I'm sitting in the audience than when I'm on stage. And I think your definition of hero is such an interesting perspective into discovering our own talents and reframing that and how we're going to show up and contribute to the world in a different way. How did you, okay, so once you figure, it sounds like a journey to get to that definition, but I think you were drawing from some things in your unique life that allowed you to have that kind of observation. Um, where do you think that that, that that source of truth came from? You know, I think it came from a lot of different places. And one, one of the things I tell people all the time, because everybody wants to know, people come up after you, after you speak, after I speak, they come up and they go, I want to do what you do. And I love John Maxwell's response to this question because he always asked the question. He said, if you want to do what I do, are you willing to do what I've done? And I equate that to a lot of people want to be the noun. Nobody wants to be the verb. <laughs> Nobody wants to actually take action and do it, right? Nobody wants to write a book. We want to have written a book. Oh my gosh, yes. Right? And we want to, we want to have this finished product and we want to have this thing, but without the, the action part, without the work part, 
And so I love that response. Are you willing to do what I've done when I'm on stage? People don't, people don't know that I'm a ninth grade dropout. People don't know that I was homeless. People don't know what I went through. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's excavating truth. And the one, one piece of, and I won't coach speakers because I, I, the best advice I ever received was from chairman of a, of a committee that I spoke for 500 CEOs from around the world. And the committee, uh, chairman came up to me afterwards and great speaker consultant in his own right. And he said, can I give you two pieces of advice? And I said, sure. And he said, number one, don't stop telling your story. And number two, don't let anybody coach out of you what you do naturally. People, you should surround yourself with people who amplify what you do, not try to quote unquote, correct it. It's kind of like, kind of like that kid who has a great throwing motion or she has a great backhand in tennis, but maybe it's a little awkward. Maybe it's a little bit of a different motion. Coaches tend to try to coach that out and make it technically perfect. And in the process, you lose some of their gifting. Mm. And so for me, I tell people, the only piece of advice I give is the more I close the gap between who I am on stage and off, the more successful I am on stage. The more I give who I am, the more vulnerable I am, the more, you know, I've got, you can see my face, audience can't see my face, but I have a very poor resting face. I I look angry most of the time. (laughs) I look look very intense. My wife says I look like the Wolverine. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) And and I'm always like, you mean I look like Hugh Jackman? And she said, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. I said you look like the Wolverine. And so I lean into it. I, I start my speech with addressing this intensity and this look and this you know, this is my happy face, <laughs> this is my happy to be here face. And so, but a lot of people, we would shy away from that. We would manufacture yeah. a smile or, or a look that we think is, is, is the way we should be instead of leaning into who we truly are. And it's just like, it's like in business, people, people want to label me as a thought leader, <laughs> yeah. which I always find fascinating. And, and I have a different label. I, I want to be a thought starter. I, I want, I don't want to tell you what to think. I want to give you something to think about. And I think there's enough people out there who are telling us what we need to think about. And truth is, we need to be our own thought leader. We need to be our own guru, so to speak. And we need to draw resources that help us figure out what moves us. Because when when I was, you know, I, I went through a really dark period from age 13 to 16. I was I was betrayed by an adult that I trusted very much a predator, a close family friend, and life got really complicated and really ugly. And for those three years, my life spiraled out of control at such an enormous pace. By the time I was in my early 20s, I lived in my car. I had burned every bridge that I had ever walked across. Quit school in the ninth grade. I used to sleep in hospital waiting rooms and get get ready in the mornings in public restrooms. And, And to go from that place in my life to where I am now, it's really two very, very different stories, both of which I was telling myself. The loudest voice in your head is yours. And a lot of times we tend to repeat what we've heard other people say. And if it's negative, then we're just gonna keep repeating it. And and we believe what we say to ourselves. And so this idea of being your own thought leader, that's where that comes from. And I had to go get new thoughts. I had to go find new people to be around because back then I burned bridges, I broke promises. I. I, I was dragging that 13-year-old kid around everywhere I went and I used him. I used him. He was, he was, a, he was a wonderful excuse for not doing well. Mm-hmm. He was a wonderful excuse to play the victim. And I, I floundered uh, until I was in my early 20s. And that's when I met a mentor who, who literally helped get my life out of the ditch. And he became like a second father to me. And he saw things in me that I didn't know were there. And he was willing to do the work. He was willing to get down in the ditch with me and roll up his sleeves and do what leaders do, which is help people find their true potential. So many people get confused about leadership. They think it's about popularity and it's really about potential. If you'll help somebody find their potential, you'll be the most popular leader on the planet. Mm. I love that the answer you just gave was in highlighting what I know to be true. That I mean, you've had extreme successes in your adult life. You've been a very successful executive. You're an author, you're a speaker, you, but that isn't what you just told me. You told me this place of like raw learning and, and how that didn't disqualify you. That is how you 
just explain to me how you qualify yourself to be on that stage. And I think, I can't think of any more important message, honestly, especially for listeners out there who might feel intimidated by the idea of doing that or feeling like, well, that could never be me. I think you and I are so in sync on this. Like we truly, truly believe that literally anyone can. I start my book by sharing that nothing about me is exceptional. And it's not a humble thing. Like truly, like I'm smart, but not exceptionally. I, I work, I'm just willing to outwork everyone around me and out care everyone around me. And I, that's what I hear in your message. And I shared that in the book because what I wanted to do with mine is to share people that while I've worked with some of the, well, literally the wealthiest, most powerful, like impactful people in the world, that isn't like accessible to most people. Those messages feel so other, like the best practices of Jeff Bezos, most people don't go, oh, let me do that. That must apply to my life, right? That doesn't, doesn't feel accessible. But the, the way in which I translated that and used my life as a case study to make it accessible to everyone else is the most meaningful thing I could think of contributing. Um, so you just mentioned your mentor. I have some very special mentors that I owe pretty much everything to. One, I've already mentioned Vicki, who did what you described, which was not remove my natural abilities, but highlighted and, and honed them into something that could be received by more people. Um, tell me about that mentor and how that led into this massive shift in your life then um, in the change from this struggling teenager who was um, just trying to navigate some trauma into the executive and then now this um, second career of yours as well because you've been successful in such different environments I think that could be really interesting for people to hear yeah yeah I mean having success in business was more than I ever imagined I was one of two non-family executives in a little-known family business that we grew to over $2 billion. And uh, it has since sold for over a billion dollars. And it That's was something, huge. I mean, they, adopt, they adopted me into their fold, this, this struggling street kid. And they were willing <laughs> to take a chance. And back then, I, I want to go back to something you said, though. It's interesting when you talk about, you know, I'm willing to outwork you and I'm willing to, to outcare the people around me. That in and of itself, those two things are are what makes you extraordinary, what makes you exceptional. And a lot of times we dismiss, I lived in shame for so long about what had happened to me, who I had become. I mean, I was a, I was a, I was an athletic kid. I was popular. I was a straight A student. Everything, everything was fine. And, and my parents never knew what happened to me. I just left. I quit wow. and, and, and ran away. They didn't know if I was on drugs, joined a cult. They didn't know what I'd done and they didn't know. And they, they had me put in a, in a, uh, a home for, for, uh, for kids who were really messed up and struggling. I ran away from there twice wow. and it was, it was like a prison in and of itself. And I can remember, you know, getting over the wall and these people chasing me into the woods and, and it's just, you know, to go into the whole story is there's just so much there. But if you go go back to that period of time, I lived in, in shame. I tried to hide what yeah. had happened to me. And I tried to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. When I fill out job applications, I would say that I spent a year in community college, uh, which wasn't a lie. I did. I just didn't tell them I was buffing floors at night. I wasn't in class. <laughs> I, was a, I was a janitor. Technically true. <laughs> <laughs> Technically true. I spent a year at community college and, but I was so ashamed and I, wow. I'll never forget one of my, one of my, um, one of the leaders in our company. Um, I sat down and told him the whole story one night and we were sitting, we were having a couple of beers and told him my whole story. And from that moment on, everything opened up, but my original mentor, David, David was the first leader in my life to take the storyline that life had given a 13 year old kid. And he started to rewrite it. He taught me how to sell. He gave me a skill set that changed my life financially forever. But the most important gift he gave me was the ability to see. Yeah. He took the storyline of my life and he rewrote it and he cast a vision. Look, people will live up to or down to the vision we cast for them. They'll live up to or down to the label that we place on them, which we love to do today. And I'm amazed at how many people get up every day of their life and they take the storyline that life gives them and they walk it out as their truth. They take the storyline that a pandemic gives them, the storyline that a doctor gives them, the storyline that someone else's opinion gives them, and they walk it out and they own it. They make it real. And they, they never even give thought, no consideration to the fact that the pen is in their hands and they have complete control over that storyline. And David was the first one to take that storyline of a 13-year-old kid and he rewrote it. And he gave me a line 
that I will never, ever forget. I don't know if it was original with him, but he gave it to me and it's, 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 I own it now. Um, but he said, that because every time I missed the mark, every time things got hard, I'd resort back to that. I'd grab that 13 year old kid and I'd say, David, you don't know what they did to me, man. You, you weren't there. And one day this old man had enough and he said, son, I don't want to hear the story again. I could probably tell it better than you. You've told it to me so many times. He said, I'm going to tell you something. The past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. Mm -hmm. He said, when you came to me, you said you wanted to go somewhere new, but all you talk about is where you've been. If you want to go somewhere new, I will take you. If you want to go back to that life, you're going to go alone because I will not go with you. And this guy kept working on me and he kept dripping on me and he kept loving me, which is a business term, by the way. Mm -hmm. And he never, ever quit on me. When leaders see potential, they do not quit as long as the, the, the person they're mentoring is willing to do the work, mm -hmm. right? Mentors love to see their students work. And when I was in business, he was the one who taught me, you're an entrepreneur, whether you get a paycheck from someone else or not. You show up every single day and you sell your talents, gifts, and abilities to your employer. And the question is, are they getting value for the dollar? Would you hire who you? Are they overpaying you? Or are they underpaying you? If you're willing to go to work with that mindset that you're selling your goods and services every day to an employer, that changes the dynamic. It's the old you incorporated concept. I think that's the best definition of an entrepreneur I've ever heard, really. Yeah. Like entrepreneurship, it was my original entry point into entrepreneurship. Um, yep. And I think people have asked me, what is the difference? Because, you know, I started at the, the very bottom, like the junior most person. While the people I work for are exceptional, um, I was not and neither was my title or job description. But that's the difference of how do you elevate, regardless of your title, or the traditional confines of your responsibilities on that title, that's the differentiator. If you treat yourself like every day I have to earn my keep here, I'm going to sell myself and I'm going to, going back to my out care and outwork everyone, that's how you become both memorable and indispensable. And what I found was actually, you are now in the driver's seat of your career. Instead of being reactionary and waiting for projects to be given or waiting for talents to be noticed, you create, you engineer the serendipity and create opportunities for yourself just with that mindset shift. Um, you don't have to work in an exceptional company like Google and Amazon. It can be a very ordinary, small family business. It can anywhere on the planet. With a mindset shift, you can create exceptional opportunities for yourself. Hi there. I just wanted to take a quick break from this fascinating conversation to invite you to buy my book, Bet On Yourself. It's available wherever you like to buy books. In Bet On Yourself, I'll take you on a deep dive into the best practices I collected by watching the exceptional careers of my CEO mentors, including Jeff Bezos, Marissa Meyer, and Eric Schmidt. I also share stories of what it was like to work at Amazon and Google during the foundational years of those companies and the internet. I use my own career as a case study for how to translate the habits of these super performers into any career at any stage and within any industry. I also attempt to answer the question of why all three of these celebrity CEOs chose to partner with me in order to fulfill their most ambitious goals and how I am now going to do the same for you. While these stories are fun and fascinating, what I hope for most is that you will walk away not only inspired, but with a playbook for how you can take action, recover from setbacks, and create your own wild adventures and joy-filled success stories, and a work life centered around your personal mission and values. Okay, let's get back to the podcast interview and more examples of how taking even seemingly small bets on yourself can lead to extraordinary results. I mean, if you think about it, think about this. I mean, everybody wants to know, how did you, how did you do it? And yeah. the truth is, I, I, I did work hard. And my goal was to solve problems. I would take on projects that nobody else wanted. Yes. I, <laughs> I learned how to speak, which there's, there's a magic in the ability to communicate. I don't care if your audience is one or 1,000. Mm -hmm. If you can sell your ideas, if you can paint pictures in the mind, if you can inspire people, and by inspire people, I, I don't mean hit them with 473 slide deck um, PowerPoint. I mean, really tell the story. Most organizations can't tell their story. 
No, Most so organizations cannot articulate what makes them special. And so I made it my mission to solve problems, to take on the projects nobody else wanted, to surround myself with brilliant people who made me look like a genius. My job is to clear the path for them to do what they do, to get them the resources they need to help them become their best self mm. and, and learn how to inspire, learn how to communicate. And those things, I mean, it's not rocket science. And you, you mentioned Jeff Bezos earlier. And I have to tell you, I, and, and a lot of people don't like Jeff Bezos. He's too successful. And I just had this conversation with a client who's, who asked me, said, hey, don't tell that Jeff Bezos story to our folks. A lot of our members are small business owners and Amazon has put all these small businesses out of business. And I said, well, hold, hold on, hold on a minute. I, I mean, I'll do what you wish. I won't tell the story if you don't want me to, but let's just make sure we have the, the facts. Because actually, Amazon has helped over 2 million small businesses have a platform that moved them outside of the boundaries of their zip code and gave them a global platform to pursue their business. But even beyond that, I had a question. I had a question for the client because I thought this was an interesting perspective because what you believe is your reality. And if that's what, if that's what they believed, I don't want to discount what they believe. I just want to maybe give them something different to think about. And so I said, I asked a question. I said, when is your dream too big? Because there's people right now that say Amazon's too big and I'm not advocating for a monopoly or anything like that, but I am saying this guy started out in his garage selling used books and isn't the goal of business. I believe it was Peter Drucker who said the goal of business is to get and keep customers. And if you get and keep enough customers, guess what? Some people are going to go out of business. If you're that good at what you do, uh, whether it was Sam Walton, Sam Walton started out with a single store, right? He got really good at what he did. Uh, Steve Jobs started out got really Gosh. good at what he did. And yep. so it's it's like, when is, how many hours do you think Jeff Bezos and his brother Mark spent playing in a cardboard box at their backyard, going to the, going to space and back? Yeah. And he made that a reality. He went to space <laughs> because he believed that he could. And what I realized in the, in the midst of this conversation with this client is that I asked the wrong question. It's not, when is your dream too big? It's when is your dream too small? Yes. I love that you flipped that. You reframed it as a way of, instead of seeing, even just looking at their small business relationship with this mega corp, um, you highlighted an opportunity for advancement rather than competition and limitation. This right. gives you access to a platform you did not have before. Yes, it's removed other things, but maybe this option is now better. Again, I'm, I have no hero worship. I, I love Jeff. I'm so grateful for what he taught me and for the time I had there, but not hero worship. I know better than right. anyone his flaws also. <laughs> but, yep. Um, yep. but yes, it's all about how you see it. Your perception yep. of your perceived limitations or opportunities yep. often is the differentiator, not just... Yeah, blanket well, things that we think are blanket facts that we can't. Well, and I think I, I think it's really interesting what you just said too. And and for me, it's not hero worship either. I am just intrigued. I'm intrigued. Somebody said somebody said the other day, they said, I said something about Richard Branson going to space. And they said, Well, but he went in a space plane. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So he just he just proved there's more than one way to get there. You see, we get locked into thinking there's only one way to do things or there's only one way to dream. And you can read a, a thousand books and you have firsthand knowledge. You, you say, you know, I know I know what he does great. And I know his flaws. And the truth is, that's how we're all built. Yeah, we all you know, and, and I think so often we try to hide our flaws and we try to cover them up. And the truth is, that's what makes us unique. Back to what we were talking about before, all of the struggle, all of the hurt, those flaws, those idiosyncrasies, all of those things. That's who we are. And we are a flawed people. There's not one of us on this planet who is perfection. And that's what keeps us striving. That's what keeps us moving. Uh, we just put a, we put a quote out the other day about, you know, the, the struggle is in the climb. That's where the gold is at. It's in the climb. It's not when we get to the peak. The peak is another starting line. Mm -hmm. You know, and oftentimes in, in life, we get to a peak and we stop and we go, I've made it. <laughs> and what I love about Jeff Bezos' story is that he could have just stopped with Amazon. Oh yeah. He didn't have to go to space. And, you know, same with Richard Branson. They're always pushing Herb Kelleher with Southwest Airlines when he was with us. There, there's just something 
about there's just something about certain people where they yeah. just dream. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Blakely is another one. I just love I her. love her mm-hmm. and just this ability to dream. You know, she's cutting out, you know, the 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 support top from pantyhose and wearing oh, them no. under her clothes, and just that story, that ability to see something that nobody else sees. But again, being willing to be the verb and take action. Yeah. Outworking everybody and caring enough about the people you want to serve. In her case, all the women of the world. And now men. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to say I've got some spank shirts in my closet. Love so, um, you know, I just think dreaming is so important. And we, we, I think we're losing that ability. Because when we were kids, we could color a box in our backyard and turn it into anything we wanted it to be. Mm. You've highlighted something so important that um, it's unapologetic dreaming, but the part that people don't highlight, which you just dug into, that I think is the most important part of it is that unapologetic dreaming followed up by working in obscurity. Sarah Blakely selling fax machines for seven straight years just to save the $5,000 she started the Spanx with. Starting the company on the floor of her apartment. Um, Same with Jeff. Like, he had no reason to leave D.E. Shaw. He was very successful, the youngest VP ever promoted. Everyone was proud of him, including his parents. And he went back to the humble beginnings and started it on his garage floor packing boxes. Um, I think that's the part that a lot of people aren't willing to do is like the obscurity part. I definitely have had that in my, my tiny little way, leaving Google after 12 years, working here basically with no one paying attention for like three years, a podcast no one was listening to in the beginning or um, writing my book in a cafe that no one was reading or, you know, and now all of it, this is how all overnight successes actually happen. It's 10 years in the making. And I like that. I, I fear that I think a lot of people are willing to work hard, but where we, and I'm projecting, I'm talking about myself really, but the times that you lose that incentive and that energy is when you look around and you see other people you know, 10 steps ahead of you and you think, oh, they're already there. Like, like as if that fills that space. But the example of like Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, they actually have two very different reasons for going to space. Um, and that's why they built different aircrafts to get there. Right. You know, I saw one of these motivational things on Instagram that stuck in my brain of like, um, flowers don't bloom ju- or don't stop blooming because the one next to them already has, right. They don't, they don't do that. So I feel like I myself, if I look back in the times I've held myself back, it's been because I'm like, oh, someone's already doing that. Someone's already a podcaster or, oh, look, they're already writing for Forbes or look, she's a New York Times bestseller. And you get intimidated by the delta between where you are right now and where they are. And that's where I created this concept for myself of having these avatar mentors where actually in the age of the internet, we can reverse engineer how we, they got there. And I don't have to be an instant New York Times bestseller like Brene Brown, who is my has been my mentor for 10 years and doesn't know I exist. She started having to self-fund her first book because no publisher thought that a book about vulnerability would ever sell. And so that gave me permission to start small also. And I just really love that you're highlighting dreaming big, but then backing it up and being on don't be deterred by the fact that other people are a step or two ahead of you on a similar. Well, I I think we, we get in our own way for years. I I didn't start. I had a journal full of book titles Mm -hmm. and, and hooks and um, subtitles and all this stuff, because I'm really good with words. I I love to play with words. I love to challenge. I love to challenge what we believe is, you know, thinking outside the box, you know, why would we do that when the game is played in the box and we, we go through life and we, we talk in corporate speak and we say things that may or may not be true. And for me, I didn't start for a long time because I didn't know all the steps. And what I've learned is that we don't have to know all the steps. We just have to know the next one. I, I don't, I don't even operate with very much of a business plan. I have a gigantic vision. Mm-hmm. And I just get up every day and I run toward it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And all of a sudden, these doors, all of a sudden, <laughs> these doors start opening up. People start inviting me. People start listening to me. People st- and again, to your to to the, the point you just made, you know, it took 20 some odd years to have this overnight success and burst yeah. onto the scene. And who is this guy? And <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm one of the busiest speakers on the planet. I have no credentials. I have no college training. I don't even have a high school diploma. I have no championship rings. I haven't climbed anything. I have no gold medals. I have nothing that most of my contemporaries have. 
and I know I know Super Bowl champions. I know uh, world class business leaders. I know a lot of people because of what I do for a living. But to run in those circles, <laughs> I, I get starstruck. I'm, not, I, I'm like asking for autographs. I mean, I, I met Jack Nicholas, one of my golf heroes, and I'm 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 a total fan. You know, I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get consumed and I'm not going to read my own press clippings. As they say, <laughs> right? I get around these people and I just go into fan mode because this window of time that we find ourselves in as, as speakers, as authors and, and all, we don't know how long that window's open. No. Right? And one of the things that I've really tried to do is I pay attention to the vision in my life. I work with a very loose business plan. I get up every day and I run toward that vision and I'm really super open to where it goes. I made a commitment, you know, I, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't mean to go down the faith road, but I had a conversation with God in, in 2016. He'd been trying to get my attention <laughs> to go out here and do this. And I kept saying, look, I've got a really good job. <laughs> I'm a high school dropout. I'm a, I'm a leader in this organization. I've got a really good job. And I, so like you can bargain with God, like you can bargain with the universe. I said, okay, if this is what you want me to do, book me out of my job. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> by the end of 2016, by the end of 2016, I was speaking 50 or 60 times a year. I was running three divisions for the company and I was, I was worn out. And so at the end of 2016, I was forced into retirement and with the, with the very strong blessing of the family that I worked for and worked with. And uh, they're still my biggest fans and I've stayed loyal to them. I don't speak for the competition. I, I am still insanely loyal to them and because of everything that they did for me and the opportunities that they gave me. And so I think part of this is just being open and the commitment that I made in 2016 was this, I will walk through the doors that open. And I've been faithful to that. I've been committed to that. And it's amazing what happens when you show up, if you're just willing to show up, most people don't show up and they don't, they don't know what happens on the road, right? They, they don't know what it's like to miss a flight and drive eight hours. They don't yeah. know what it's like to take the red eye out of Vegas and arrive in Orlando at 6am and be on stage at 10am. Yeah. Again, back to, are you willing to do what we've done in order to, to really, I'm going to use a, a terrible word here, but to exploit your gifts. We, we, we should be willing to exploit our gifts in the service of others. I heard Larry Wingate say that years and years ago, that he defined success as, as being willing to exploit your gifts in the service of others. It's probably a better word than exploit, but, but it is true. But it is true. Leverage. Leverage your gifts in the service of others. You said something a minute ago about um, having space in the world and, you know, people are 10 steps ahead of us or, you know, we don't, you know, the flower next to the one that's blooming doesn't just stop blooming because this one is bloomed. Yeah. I truly believe when you find your gifting, when you find your extraordinary, when you stop playing small, when you stop living an ordinary life and doing things in ordinary ways, even though you were created to be extraordinary, the world makes room for you. The market makes room for you. Yes. Your organization makes room for you. Mm -hmm. Because that stands out in a sea of sameness, that uniqueness stands out. Mm. I just want to repeat two things that you just said that really struck deep in me. I think one is you were willing to let go of an accomplished dream and put yourself out there into the terror of the unknown of that. You can only see one step into the darkness and you were willing, you, you committed in that conversation with God that, Hey, if you give this to me, I will go. And you did. I, I relate to that. I watched my dad do that. He reinvented himself three times on the podcast. They've already heard me say this, but I mean, I'm first generation non-farmer, like both my parents born and raised on farms. My dad went from farmer into the military because he, that was the out that he could see. He accomplished a dream of becoming an elite fighter pilot, which was statistically impossible, but did, and then reinvented himself again to um went to law school and he worked as a janitor you know i my whole childhood people stood up and saluted when he came into a room and then he went and worked as a janitor put himself through law school to create this new life and to use different gifts than he had before and i think that's so similar to you i um i say in my book that that taught me to let go of the seeming great seemingly i said it much more eloquently in the book 
<laughs> the seeming grandeur of an accomplished dream in order to um, open yourself up for the next one. And I think that's so what you highlighted there. And I wish more people would do that. There's there's um, actually a danger in sitting in seemingly comfort because that's when you're primed to be disrupted. Like you're almost betting God to like, please put something in my way to get me out of this chair um, because that's in your best interest. And then I love what you're saying. And I, I want to dive into this even more about um, leveraging your gifts in the service externally. And I, I would, I wonder, you mentioned um, having a huge list of potential subtitles in your drawer. And I feel like people don't pay enough attention to subtitles of books because you and I both know how much thought goes into every word on that title. Your subtitle of your book is rise above any challenge, expand your impact and be the hero the world needs. I especially love that last part. Can you tell me more? Because I have a feeling it's right along that theme of what you were just describing. Tell me more about being the hero of the world. The world it is. And you know what? Our humility keeps us from embracing this idea of being a hero. You know, when we turn on the news and we see yeah. somebody hold somebody out of a burning car, and they go, wow, you're a hero. They go, oh, well, no, I'm not a hero. I just, you know, I just leaped into action and, and drug a family of 26 out of a van. <laughs> You know, it was on fire. And, you know, it's like, no, that that's heroic. The, the mm -hmm. challenge is, and I understand the humility piece of that, but the truth is being a hero could be big things or small things. It can yeah. be a smile. In our world today, you can be somebody's hero just by smiling, by encouraging them, a shoulder to lean on when their legs are weak. I, I think about my mentor. My mentor was a hero to me. He saved my life. He didn't just change it. He saved it. If I hadn't been too chicken to pull the trigger, I wouldn't be here because that 13 year old kid kept, kept whispering in my ear. It's time to check out, man. It's this isn't the life we signed up for. And I was too chicken to do it. I opened the book with, with the line. I wanted to die. Uh, this uh, life had just become just a complete mess. And I think about something you talk about your dad re reinventing. And I, I really think it's reinvention is an interesting topic for me. Because we talk about reinvention, but I think reinvention isn't changing who we are. It's revealing more of who we are. Mm, right. and so, many, so many people think, oh, I got to become somebody different. No, become more of who you were designed to be in the first place. That's reinvention is about revelation. And it's not about recreation. It's about revelation and becoming more of who we were designed to be in the first place. And my mentor used to tell me, you cannot you cannot grab what God, you cannot grab what the universe has for you while you've got a, got a death grip on the past because your hands are already full with all of that. So you can't grab onto what is to come for you. And so this idea of being a hero, extraordinary people choosing not to be ordinary, I, I looked for, for things that heroes do. I don't care if they work in a gas station, a grocery store, drive through dry cleaners, doesn't matter. And there are four things that heroes do that are different. And that process became what we call the hero effect. And that framework is in the book, but it's really simple. Heroes help people. And this is an acronym, by the way. I don't normally tell people this, but it is an acronym because it helps me remember it. But heroes help people. And on the surface, people go, oh, that's great. You know, being of good service is that's great. And most people kind of dismiss that as I already know that. Mm. But here's the problem. Most people are only willing to be helpful to the extent that there's a return on investment. There are conditions attached to this. And what I've learned is that heroes, there's a part two, there's a dot, 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 right? Heroes help people dot, dot, dot with no strings attached. And it's that little bitty no strings attached that we can't quite get our humanness around. You know, we like the conditions, but the truth is heroes deal in connections, not conditions. Second thing I know about heroes is they create an exceptional experience for everybody in their life. They create a moment in time. They own this space called now, this little bitty space called now. They own it, which is the hardest thing on the planet to do. We run through life with our head down, our thumbs moving, dragging around the worst of yesterday, praying for the best of tomorrow. And we miss the only thing we have control over. And heroes are brilliant at showing up in this moment and creating an experience that makes life better, that leaves them wanting more that distracts them perhaps from their present reality and gives them a place where they can catch their breath. That happen, That can happen at work. That can happen in a coffee shop. That can happen at the dinner table mm -hmm. because we leave so many of our relationships to chance. We leave the minds of our children to what's on the other end of the earbuds. Mm -hmm. We leave uh, the love and affection of our spouse, our partner, our significant other. We take that for granted and we miss these moments. 
customers, clients, colleagues. And the truth is, if we don't own this space, someone else will. And when we don't own it, we leave the door open for somebody to take them away from us. And that's so this idea of an exceptional experience is really important. The third thing about heroes is they take 100% responsibility for their life and everything in it. We live in a world where it's so easy to point the finger and blame other people. Heroes raise their hand and say, what can I do to create a better outcome? That's it. What can I do to create a better outcome? And then the last thing is optimism, which we talked about earlier with my mentor. He taught me how to see, you know, he taught me to see life not as it is, but as it should be. People not as we are, but as we can be. And so that's a framework around the word hero and the four things that I think heroes do that are different than everybody else on the planet. I so appreciate that framework because when you telling me it was an acronym, now I can, I actually remember all four points. So that's very effective, but also I like that you make it so accessible to everyone. And it's a call to action that the world needs you to show up because you're unique. What makes you different qualifies you to be a hero in your circle of influence, whether that's within your family, your community, your, your church, your work, your whatever it might be. Um, I, I, like to say that uh, no life is too small or dream too big to be worthy of investment. Mm -hmm. And I think you just gave people the recipe and the permission really to show up there. There you are qualified when, when you have this. And so I, I find that hero framework really, really effective. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I'm even more intense about this because I think I read a study that said, there's some people in the world who just want to be ordinary. They, they want to play small. They want to have a good job in a, in, a, in a house with the white picket fence and just live an ordinary life. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with that on the surface, but I think if there was more put in you, and I believe that of every human on the planet, then you not only have the opportunity, but the responsibility because now you're depriving me and my family of your greatness. Now you're taking off the table what cures, inventions, innovations that you would have brought to this table and what you would have brought to our world. What are we going to miss out on because you chose to play small? Mm. And I think, you know, when we develop our gifts, when we use them in the service of others, I don't think people realize how fulfilled that makes you. And it's the hardest thing to understand. It's the idea of helping people with no strings attached. It's like, it's a little bit tongue in cheek because there is a string attached because I feel good. I get filled full when I pour into you, when I empty myself into you, I'm the one that gets filled up. Mm -hmm. It's the hardest thing to understand. It's, I, I have debates all the time with people about random acts of kindness. Why should acts of kindness be random? Shouldn't kindness garner our, our utmost intention? Shouldn't we be doing that on purpose and not just when, not just at a whim, not just when our bills are paid and things are going well and we feel good about doing it? Shouldn't we be doing it all the time? Because when we do it, we feel better. We're the recipients of, of these endorphins and these, these chemicals that go off in our brain and they just explode and make us feel better. And I don't think that should be random. I love the sense of a responsibility to do that. There's someone I heard actually, so I was a very unwilling author. Like you, it came as a, a byproduct of speaking. Well, I would come off stage and people would say to me, uh, I thought they were just being nice, that that was just a nice thing to say to a speaker. They would say, please tell me you're writing this down. Please tell me you're putting this into a book. And I'd be like, oh, thank you. That's so nice. And eventually after I heard it the thousands of time, I was like, Okay, but then my hesitation honestly was, if people wanna know the best practices of Amazon and Google and Jeff Bezos and Eric Schmidt and all these big characters that I've learned this stuff from, they can literally go read books written by those people, they exist. <laughs> but then I realized that um, I did feel this responsibility, this apprenticeship, this personal business school that had been my career felt very much like a responsibility to pay that forward. It shouldn't just live in my head or those elite people who work at Google and have all these this privilege that got them to that place. 
it belongs in the minds of as many people as possible. And actually a turning point for me when I finally agreed to talk to an agent that my friend wanted to introduce me to, a, a book agent, I saw this silly thing on Instagram and I haven't, I've looked everywhere, I haven't found it since, but it said, there's someone out there who can only learn it from you. Mm. And that was like a bolt of lightning into my brain and my heart. It connected my brain and my heart with this like responsibility that you're describing of like what a disservice it would be if I let this privileged information sit in my head when someone can only hear from me, they can't learn it from Jeff Bezos. They can't learn it from Eric. And that is when I was like, okay, I did the scary thing and I wrote the book and now uh, people are literally judging it and reviewing it publicly on Amazon. <laughs> um, but it feels worth it to me because there's someone out there who could only learn it from me. And I love that you're giving that challenge and that charge to as many people as possible. I think if, if I had any major takeaway from this pandemic, it's that all the adults in the room that we thought were in charge and had all the right answers and would do all the right things aren't there. <laughs> like we need everyone contributing. We need multiple perspectives. We need people showing up. And I love this call to action that you're giving in, the, in your book and through your speaking and your message and your influence of calling people and saying you are qualified and you are needed. Yes. Well, and thank you for that because I, I, I posted recently and I said the smartest person in the room is the one asking questions and listening to the smartest people in the room. Um, <laughs> we all have something to contribute and we should all contribute. And it's something that I will not apologize for. I will, I will make sure that I lean into it. I'm very intense about this because I think everybody on this planet has something that we all need. And yeah. when we hide it, when we keep it like you, I didn't want to write a book. I did not want to expose some of the stuff in this book that I talk about some deep wounds, some deep personal failures, some, some things that I'm not proud of, but it is my story. And I think what you just said about your story, it's through your lens. It's through your interpretation. It's through your heart. And it's through your kindness and caring for other people that people can relate to it and say, you know what, if, if Anne can make this journey, if Kevin can make this journey, then I can make this journey. And not only can I, I must, I must do this. And we've got, I mean, these fleeting moments that are the lives we live. The last thing I think about before I ever take the stage, and we didn't even have time to get into my son. I have a special needs son, and I've watched his her heroic mother over the past 18 years transform this kid's life. They said he would never graduate high school. He'd never go to college. He did both, first in my family to go to college. Wow. He has autism, and they they cast a vision for him when he was five years old, and his mom, Mama Bear, said, uh, no, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing story. But the last thought that I have before I ever take the stage is how do you make an impact in a short amount of time? Mm. Right. We're only on this planet for a short time. I mean, you think an hour on stage is a short amount of time. Listen, our entire life is just a minute on stage. Yeah. And again, whether it's one or 1000, it doesn't matter. We're all on stage every single day. And the fact is, are you willing to show up? Nobody cares how good you used to be. All they care about is, can you stand on stage and deliver it now? Nobody cares when you and I take the stage, how many standing ovations we've had, how many books we've sold. Nobody cares. They care about, can I stand on this stage and deliver my very best to this room full of people? And that's what people care about. Whether you're, whether you're sitting in an office, working from home or on stage like we are, people care about if you show up or not. Yeah. You remind me of the Maya Angelou quote where she says, people don't remember what you say and they won't remember what you did, but they will always remember it the way you made them feel. Absolutely. And showing up, uh, as you describe your mentor, the ripple effect of that is huge. That mentor trusting in you, saving your life, changing it, and then the many, many lives that you are now affecting through that influence is infinite and, and showing up in that very real way is super powerful. I literally just got goosebumps just trying to summarize what, what you just shared. Uh, it's really, really powerful. What I, I feel like I've had like 10 mic drop moments in this conversation. Thank you for this like um, very efficient truth bombs that you've been delivering. <laughs> I find that very inspiring. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, sharing your journey. I could, there's hours more worth of content here, obviously that we could get into, um, but please share with our listeners if they want more like I do, where can we connect with you? Where can we follow your work? Um, obviously tell us more about the book and um, how we can keep this conversation going forward. Yeah, thank you for that. And this has been great. We'll have to, we'll have to get together and do this again because yes. we've got 
that part two and part three and four and all that stuff. So uh, unleashingyourhero.com is a great place to find us. And you can find all things that we're working on, new projects, all of that, all platforms at Hero Speaker. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. And we, we love our, our community. We love heroes in training. We love heroes that want to show and make a difference in our world. And we're just real grateful to do what we do. And we're blessed to do it. And we're just going to keep telling the story um, until people are tired of listening. Incredible. I think it will be a very long time before anyone's tired of that. Kevin Brown, thank you for your generosity. What an incredible conversation today. Thanks for being here. Great honor to be with you.